0: Hi, this is Dennis Mundy. I'm here with my co-host, Phil Goldberg. Our podcast, Spirit Matters, found at spiritmatterstalk.com. Our guest today, Mr. Peter Sterius. He is an author, a yoga teacher. He has quite an amazing and uh, multi-faceted background. His book is uh, uh, Gravity and Grace. We're going to talk to him about his background, but we're definitely going to get into the book today. So, uh, Peter, thank you so very much for taking the time to come on with us today. It's my pleasure.
1: Peter, um, I am not uh, fully aware of your work. I got your book and uh, press release from publicists, and I'm really uh, eager to hear uh, more about your story. Tell us, if you can, quickly uh, sort of uh, uh, your uh, spiritual history and what brought you to uh, The practice and teaching of yoga?
2: Um, I had a very unusual introduction to to my first yoga class and I would have called myself the most unlikely candidate to walk into a yoga class. However, once I experienced it, the athlete in me found it it very um, uh, exciting and challenging. And uh, it was purely that kind of exercise at the start of my practice. And what, what I've discovered, you know, over many years, decades now, really, of practice is yoga has this magical way of taking what appears to be a simple body exercise and revealing, let's say, these other layers of ourselves. And that 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 was me, you know, I, it, it would not be someone looking at my resume before I went to my first yoga class. I would not be a good candidate, but it just... Um, i I, got to have to say it was luck or karma or grace that made me uh, link uh, or connect with yoga, and it's been with me for the last 45 years.
1: And you've been teaching in San Luis Obispo how long?
2: I've been teaching yoga 35 years now, and uh, I've spent 10 years overseas in New Zealand, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about those years, and then spent a year and a half in India um, and then made my way back to California and luckily back to San Luis Obispo, which is a pretty magical place in itself. Great. Don't uh, be uh, careful. I,
1: don't, you don't want too many people moving there.
2: That,
0: it's too late. <laughs> it's, it's happening. Here, I, I have to ask you this question. Uh, I'm jumping ahead of what I usually ask at this point, but I, I read that you uh, taught yoga at the white house and actually uh, you, you did work with Michelle Obama, and I have to say, when I had my radio show, I had the great honor of interviewing her, and you, you also did work at the Pentagon. Back in the day, in the 70s, uh, when I was teaching TM, I, I taught at West Point Military College there, so uh, I have a little familiarity with both those, uh, Michelle Obama and, and the Pentagon, but tell me, how did all that happen, and what was it like?
2: Well, um, this... this uh... Exercise of writing a book made me go back and relive many of these stories. And, and at the end of writing, I realized what an amazing string of consistent coincidences I've had in my life. It As, as crazy as this is going to sound, I went to a birthing class, what, 12 years ago when my daughter, uh, when my wife was pregnant with our daughter. And at the birthing class, one of the other students was... Um, an a uh, talent agent in Los Angeles and my wife and her hit it off uh, and they stayed connected and literally probably another year or so after that out of the blue we get this phone call from this woman and as it turns out the white House's uh, event planner's wife was a yoga teacher and they needed a male teacher and This uh, event planner's wife called this agency in Los Angeles and said, hey, we need a male teacher, preferably someone who's been around the block a few times um, and is not a celebrity teacher. You know, they they wanted someone who was skillful, but not a big name. Hmm. And frankly, this, this, uh, woman that we met in the birthing class, I think maybe I was probably the only yoga teacher she'd ever met. <laughs> and, and so she called and it's, it was only like three weeks notice. Uh, what are you doing in three weeks? And I looked at my calendar and that weekend, this first event, uh, I was free. Amazing. Amazingly. And, uh, And so we we had this kind of very uh, quick introduction to the Obamas and the event is an annual event that they do. And and Michelle was someone who literally transformed this big day after Easter event for the White House, which in the past had been, you know, not so much oriented towards health and fitness. And with her anti-obesity initiatives, she brought in all these professional athletes, to give little uh, clinics and seminars to the children and and families, uh, White House staff and invited people from around the United States, and uh, they started inviting. In the beginning, it was twelve yoga teachers. I was one of the twelve uh, to teach yoga classes. And you know that the event, the I think they call it the uh, annual Easter egg hunt or something like that. Uh, they. Thirty thousand people come through the, you know, lawn, south lawn of the White House during that day, and we literally started teaching yoga at six o'clock in the morning and and finished teaching at six o'clock at night. I mean, it was a very wow. full day.
1: Can we assume you haven't been invited back by the Trump administration?
2: <laughs> uh, you can assume that we <laughs> we were invited back uh, three years uh, by the Obamas, and then. Um, my, my schedule got pretty busy, and, and we, we weren't able to go back after that. But um, then the Pentagon, th- this is another kind of coincidental thing. I, I was teaching a, a retreat down in uh, San Juan del Sur, Nicaragua, on the beach. And uh, it was a week-long retreat where two of the women in the uh, retreat were sent by their husbands. They were both officers in the marine corps and their husbands also military people they sent their wives away for a little r and r to my yoga retreat and at the end of the week one of them who was a lieutenant colonel said would you come to the pentagon and talk to us about this experience we just had with you and i said i'd love to so this was like a year and a half ago and and so i I went uh, with my wife and daughter we got uh, again part of a group of I think it was 10 professionals that they invite twice a year to a day you know and you know wine and dine in a way by the marines they share their expertise with us so we are like ambassadors for what they do and how they train their uh, officers and soldiers. And and then we shared with them what we do and how what we do might be beneficial to the Marines. And as a result of that day, I've, I've been invited back uh, in February, coming up uh, next year, to train, I think, 10 or 15 officers at Camp, Camp Lejeune in North Carolina. Wow. And this will be my first opportunity to literally be with boots on the ground with the Marines taking them through some yoga.
1: Wonderful. Um, Peter, uh, your new book is called Gravity and Grace. Um, Now, it's a striking title, uh, and uh, it occurs to me that both of those words uh, have many meanings attached to them. Uh, or can be interpreted in different ways. Tell us what you mean by gravity and grace, and why you chose that title.
2: The gravity is such uh, an important part of what yogis do. Um, we we basically are putting our bodies in shapes, and gravity can either be our friend or our enemy. And as as anyone who takes on yoga, as as their skill increases gravity is this force that's just there for us uh and and when we learn how to use it it's it's quite a healing force because it really can help take effort away away from you know what i consider unnecessary muscular effort which is you know what an inefficient body does is it over relies on muscles to create posture and movement Uh, and as we get more skilled at it we can use what energy we may have been wasting on other areas of our body. And this is where the grace piece comes in. If we believe or if we have this experience that body and mind are inseparable, grace comes in to that part of the mind that is really intuitive-based. It's, it's that place where, let's say, the analytical, logical world finds it difficult to... Um, navigate, but with the understanding of this element of grace, this intuitive wisdom, let's say, that shows up in our lives from time to time, we we begin to trust grace just like we trust gravity. In, in other words, both mm-hmm. these forces are kind of hidden from our five sensory awareness and uh, gravity is a little bit easier but literally it wasn't too long ago that no one really even understood gravity i think it was what the 1600s or 1500s when when newton and and all these scientists of the day were starting to figure out hey this is something that we can measure and this is something that we can work with and i, I personally feel that same way about grace that we we have this understanding of grace, I think most people, whether they're religious or not, have these experiences in life where something just is uh, drops into their life and it, it feels like God's grace, let's say. And yet the, in the quantum physics level, they're starting to peck away at these kind of invisible forces that have, you know, kind of a spiritual quality to it that in my experience i think there's going to be a day when this idea of grace becomes something that we can measure in a way something that's beyond our five sensory experience of life and in these other realms let's say these these non-physical realms uh,
0: uh, Peter i wanted to ask uh, uh, somebody somebody's listening into the podcast and they I've been thinking, you know, I've wanted to get into yoga for a long time. Uh, haven't had the time. Now I do, uh, or I'm going to make a commitment to uh, make the time. And uh, if I get this book, Gravity and Grace, uh, will that give me instruction if I actually want to start doing yoga? Or do I need to to uh, affiliate or get involved with some class uh, or get some instructor uh, in addition to, to to looking at the book? So basically, uh, from the book, will how much can they get, uh, 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 or, or is it the book and the teacher that's necessary?
2: I would be, um, let's say, remiss in saying that the book will be all you need to, uh, you know, take up yoga. That one one of the things that I start the book with is a, a dedication to all the students, teachers, and people that that I've uh, met along my path. That have provided me something that no book or podcast or video could ever do. And that's presence. You know, this, this exchange that takes place when two people come together. And Mm -hmm. so the book is going to be uh, like a guide, let's say for someone brand new to yoga, it's written with very simple English, very, very simple language. And it's designed not to, let's say, teach the, um, technical aspects of yoga but more the the ability to relate to yoga in a simple way and what it is there for in our lives you know both on a physical level and on a psychological level and there is in the back of the book some uh, section five talks uh, it has some very specific things as you begin to uh, uh, practice yoga some very specific practices that you can use to you know, prep yourself, let's say, before walking into your first yoga class. But, yeah, I, I think it's the day hasn't quite come yet where you don't need a physical teacher. And and that is something that I highly recommend.
1: Um, Peter, the subtitle of Gravity and Grace is How to Awaken Your Subtle Body and the Healing Power of Yoga. Um, subtle body is a subtle term. Uh, <laughs> how do you mean or what do you mean by subtle body and why did you choose to put it in your, a uh, subtitle? It must be an important
2: component of the book. It is the, I think in this modern day of yoga, the, and the popularity of yoga has created this um, huge industry. And in a way, the industry, like every industry in America is, it relies on, you know, success, business success and capitalism in a way. So to survive, let's say, in this environment, yoga's had to adapt to the, let's say, the competition, which is generally, you know, fitness-based businesses. And, and I think yoga has been very attractive to people, let's say, c- kind of crossing over from the gym into a yoga class. And yoga has responded by, you know, bringing up the level of physicality into the practice of physical yoga but the physical yoga hatha yoga is only one of eight limbs of yoga that was traditionally taught in uh, india and the other limbs are you know beyond the physical yoga the the other limbs are of a more subtle nature meaning yogis believe that we're not just our physical bodies that we have these shells or in sanskrit known as koshas And these shells operate on the non-physical levels of our being. And um, so the subtle body is a term that I use because I've purposely avoided um, direct uh, quoting of Sanskrit in my book. I I use it in brackets next to English words that I've chosen, but I, I wanted the book to be something that anyone who's an English speaker, picking up the book and understanding with simple terms what some of these subtle components are. And the reason that the healing power of yoga is in there, yoga obviously on the physical plane only has the ability to make people feel really good. And just like any exercise, we can create this amazing experience, um, you know, producing all these Feel good hormones in our bodies, and um, and and just having this experience that working out provides us. However, there's so much more to yoga, and and the healing isn't just healing, so let's say, a physical injury. It's it's healing psychological <laughs> challenges, he, he, bringing balance to one's life psychologically and and beyond. It, once we kind of delve beyond the layers of mind, we, we get into these so-called spiritual layers and, and there it's, it's like any spiritual tradition where the yogis of, of those early, you know, generations, they weren't that concerned about the, let's say the physicality of yoga only as a means to access these inner qualities of mind and meditation and spirit. So, That this book really was me saying, okay, how can I take all these almost esoteric terms and practices from a land, you know, India, land of yoga's birth, and put it in a way that an average, you know, relatively fit person could pick the book up and say, oh, this is interesting. I want to pursue more of what this exercise has to offer. and. It's also, the book's also written to help people working with physical limitations because a lot of the seeds that I drew from in writing the book came from the rugby injuries and other competitive sport injuries that I brought to my mat the first time. Mm -hmm. And the list of those uh, injuries and imbalances was pretty extensive.
0: Peter? Peter? I wanted to ask you about the relationship of yoga, and, and by yoga, I guess I mean asana, physical yoga, to uh, breathing pranayama and also to uh, meditation.
2: Sure. Um, in in the style of yoga that I started with, uh, which is uh, a very rigorous yoga developed by an Indian man named BKS Iyengar. And, and he had some pretty strong ideas about pranayama following asana and and he rarely taught beginners anything about the breath and and i as a, a young student i observed uh i let's say i um honored that request of his until i got these injuries playing rugby and what happened after hurting myself uh in rugby i I found that if I didn't pay attention to my breath, I hurt worse the next day and breath was really this was where these injuries were such gifts for me because it started to teach me that breath without you know movement without conscious breathing is really dangerous frankly, and especially if you're injured or have limitations so what what I started to see was that. Uh, The instructions for pranayama often say it's dangerous, but simple pranayamas, these very basic ideas that I talk about in the book, the qualities of the breath, the sound of the breath, the rhythm of the breath, and the texture of the breath. Those are things that anyone, even a first-time beginner, can start to experiment with. And those three qualities of breath is what really changes a beginner's experience to yoga. If they're equipped with conscious breathing, it makes some of the physical struggles, if, if you're tighter or, or weak, it makes some of the physical s- struggles more manageable. And then these two streams of uh, thought, the physical part of yoga and the, the breathing part of yoga, just naturally uh, merge. They, they start together, they stay together, and they ultimately carry you into the even more advanced practices of meditation. Uh,
1: Peter? Peter? In the opening sections of your book, you mention a sort of turning point moment in your life when um, your teacher at the time said something uh, that was uh, kind of received as an epiphany. Who was that? (laughs) Who was it? What what was said and why was it so uh, important?
2: Well, my teacher of 20 years was a, a Hungarian man. Um, that lived in Australia. His name was Shandor Remete, and he learned yoga with his dad when he was six. He studied with BKS Iyengar for decades and took annual trips to India to take both himself and his students. And and really was in many ways uh, not a biological son, but really a, a yogic son of BKS. They were they were quite close, and uh, I met him in New Zealand where I was playing rugby at the end of my rugby career due to injuries. And, uh, and it was the first male teacher I'd ever met Uh, back in the seventies. There weren't hardly any males doing yoga, let alone teaching it in the States. And, uh, and that was something that I really was attracted to. He was a man, he was an athlete. He had all these kind of similar traits that I Honored and and kind of aspired to be like and uh, so I studied with him for 20 years and and I I've had this belief that in the style of yoga that I was studying that being an apprentice was seen as a an honor you know like like it was a rite of passage in a way and and yet at the end of 20 years I was feeling a little impatient because I wanted to learn what I called in the book the good stuff the stuff that he didn't teach us students that he practiced when when we practiced together i'd see him doing some of these things esoteric practices and and so i I basically said hey i'd like to learn this stuff and he said okay when i come back to california next time i'll we'll have a talk well he came and the whole month he was here he didn't mention a word of this talk and obviously i was had it on the back of my mind the whole month and literally on the day that he left he said okay time for the talk so we walked to a park near my house and, you know, the taxi to the airport for him back to Australia where he lived was leaving in like 45 minutes. I was like, well, what's he going to tell, tell me in 45 minutes? We sat on a park bench and uh, we sat in silence for another 10 minutes, you know, and I, I'm just <laughs> starting to get impatient. And then he he looks at me and and he's conceived my inner struggle in me. And he, he says to me, he says. There's two things, Peter, you'd never want to be in life, an apprentice and a soldier. And so and that was it. And I'm just looking at him like like my mind was spinning. And I was thinking, why is he saying that to me right now? Because I I was expecting him to say something like, thank you for being a great student. Thank you for being helpful because I managed his North American tours and you're ready to receive. You know, that was what I was expecting. This is what I got. So my mind was just off somewhere. I don't even know where it went. And the silence was just deafening and he looked at me and just to help me. And, and, and in a way it's not uncharacteristic of who he is as a person because he can be quite direct. He said to me in exactly these words, it's time to get off the tit.
0: Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, great, 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 great great story, Uh, Peter. So, uh, Dennis, let me follow up a second. Go ahead, uh, follow up, and then any final words? Yeah, I just
1: uh, we assume that meant uh, you're to go out on your own now. Uh, Yes. uh, Okay. One last question, Um, and that has to do with you've been at uh, the yoga teaching world for decades now. Um, You alluded to the current situation in yoga. Um, I'm curious how you see the future shaping up, because this is an important subject to me. Um, When I was writing American Veda, this is probably 10 years ago, uh, The Onion, the satirical uh, newspaper, had a headline that said, one in five women training to be yoga instructors. And... That sounded very funny at the time, but it sometimes seems that, you know, <laughs> one in five people are becoming yoga teachers. And now they're, you know, I know uh, there's talk of a yoga uh, teacher's union and all that. What do you see shaping up? What are the trends you see? I,
2: do you guys live in California? Or, or I do. You? I'm in Philadelphia. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. In California, it's one in three people are yoga
1: teachers.
0: <laughs> right. Um, I, I I live in a town <clears throat> in Iowa, Fairfield, Iowa, where I'd say one in two people are, are yoga teachers. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, yeah. that's that's scary. You know that's. Yeah. Right. Here, here's how
2: I see it. I think that uh, yoga right now, like in a way, our society at large is is going through growing pains. And, you know, we've we've extended ourselves and the resources to support that extension are getting thin. And I think this is what's happening in the yoga world right now is uh, we've most studios survive on teacher training programs. They, yeah. they The landlords are greedy where these studios rent from. And the only way to keep the doors open is to offer training. There's not enough qualified trainers to go around and so you see this glut of under trained um you know and and not only undertrained but under practice the these teachers that are teaching have barely been practicing four or five years and you know before i didn't start teaching until 10 years of practice and, the, and there were no teacher training programs back in the day but that's not the world we live in now so i think in 10 years time uh, the world is going to look a lot different and yoga is going to look a lot different there'll be less of it uh, let's say that the the survival rate of yoga teachers will drop off because no one's making enough money to live off of and to be really frank I don't know that many yoga teachers that don't have a second job, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, like being a writer. It is exactly like being a writer, you know? So what, what I see there is a, I'm inspired actually by the number of really intelligent teachers that are still teaching or that have have, have recently risen, let's say to a level where what they're sharing is so creative and and it's a it's a small number though and how do you find these gifted teachers it's like the old days you really have to keep your ears open you you have you know there was no search engines back when i was looking for a teacher so you, you have to keep your ears and eyes open and you have to be open yourself to to what opportunities present themselves. And in the book, I I talk a lot about how those opportunities presented themselves to me and how for grace, for whatever reason, I saw that as an opportunity and um, I just went for it. There was something inside me that said, this path will take you to something that is useful for your life. Follow it. And I I think that's always going to be true.
0: Very good. Uh, Great, great information. Great interview. Peter, thank you so very much for your time. Love to have you back on again sometime as well. Anytime. Good. Again, uh, the name of the book, Gravity and Grace, uh, that'll be all posted up on our podcast. We're doing this interview. Uh, Today is uh, October. Well, for me, it's October 1st. Oh, no, is it October 1st? Yeah, it it is. So we'll post this up in the next couple of weeks and then uh, somebody could be listening to this uh, far into the future since it's a podcast. And uh, uh, Phil is in Los Angeles, and I'm in Gothenburg, Sweden right now. And you are in uh, North, where in California? Central Cal, Southern San Luis Obispo. Great. So through the mo- uh, miracle of modern technology, uh, uh-huh. yoga spread worldwide. Uh, thank you so very much for your time, Phil.
1: Thank you, Peter. We'll be in touch.
0: Thank you. I assume we're up